financial security for veterinary professionals. Are you feeling the pinch in your wallet or purse? This week, we've got an expert to help you with all of your money woes on the Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And a tough topic that transcends veterinary medicine is always going to be money and finances. And this week, I can't wait to introduce you to a guest who is an expert in money and economics and finance. But before we get into all of that, as always, I am one of your hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. I am so excited for today's guest. It is the one and the only Miss Denise Tumblin. She is a certified personal accountant, president and owner of WTA Veterinary Consultants. She is working it out in the veterinary industry with a really cool, really unique background. She's been around animals her whole life, has passion for companion animals, large animals, but has married all of that interest into supporting the financial health of the veterinary industry. Miss Denise, thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Gosh, well, Denise, you know, we are huge fans. You know, you and I go way back. For those people that don't know you like I know you, tell us how you got here. Well, I was working for a company, wanted a change, and this is how long I've been doing this. I answered an ad in the newspaper with uh, my former <laughs> partner, Cynthia Witchett. And yeah, she was yeah. uh, looking for a financial analyst and I thought it would be really interesting and fun to work with veterinarians. So I answered the ad and was lucky enough to get hired and here I am. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, my wife, Laura, and you go way back as well. What Laura always liked about you was your accounting sensibility. I mean, your background as a CPA is always welcome to us, at least. And so you started working with Cynthia, doing some something that I still think uh, stands the test of time, and that's the benchmarks, as we call it now, although back then it was always the well-managed practice study. Tell us a little bit about how that came about and, and what it's all about. Well, the well-managed practice study, we wanted to focus on what the best practices are doing. We didn't want, there's a lot of published data out there, but it's averages. And we didn't want to aim for average. We wanted to aim for the best. So our goal was to study well-managed practices to find out what do they do differently how can we utilize this information or share this information so that all practices can implement the, the strategies that well-managed practices use to improve their practice? Our goal was to, we knew if we can help the veterinarians improve their business, that that gives them the ability to continue to improve their patient care, to take care of their team, pay their team members well. So that was our goal. We wanted to figure out and share what the best practices are. And I think that, you know, a lot of the, the tenets of the well-managed practice study now called the benchmark study, you know, really served as the foundation for best practices moving forward. I mean, prior to what Cynthia and Denise were doing, you know, we really, we just sort of, there were groups of us I and mean, we had some management groups that were starting up. I mean, but we didn't really have this collecting vase of information and best practices. So again, Denise, you know what, a huge fan. I, I think that, you know, I was always honored to be a part of that, but you know, it really served our profession well. But I do want to talk to you today more about 
the individuals because you and I have spent our entire career primarily helping clinics do better financially so they can pay their staff. I'd say we've had some success and some not so much success, but let's now talk to those individuals who are in the clinics and, you know, look, sometimes it's a struggle financially. What are some of the basic rules and advice that you give to that young veterinary associate, that young veterinary technician? They've got student debt. They want to have a house, maybe start a family. What are the things that you would give them as advice for, for managing their finances? Well, I think, um, one, continue to live frugally. I know that uh, veterinarians are pretty frugal, but if you've got a lot of debt, you need to continue to live frugally. I think continue to to grow and learn in your skill set so that you contribute more to the practice. And then hopefully that results in higher compensation for the doctor, the associate, But I also think that practice ownership is a way for an associate to grow their compensation at an even higher level because now they're being paid as an owner. So I think practice ownership, well, it has to be an interest to be a business owner, but I think being a business owner can really help with the student loan debt. I think, you know, there's so much to unpack when we talk about financial stability, financial health in the veterinary industry. And, you know, obviously ownership is a a limited um, option for obviously technicians and support staff in in many states. It's it's not even an option. And for a lot of veterinarians, I think maybe ownership, like you said, maybe isn't 100 percent the interest. I think Sometimes we can just, if I can rewind this a little bit, sometimes I think there's just a lack of financial education and understanding. Am I right there? Is, is Are we missing some foundational stuff? Oh, yes. Although I will say that many of the, the veterinary hospitals, the te- I'm sorry, the teaching hospitals, the universities, they are recognizing that shortfall, if you will, in the business education. So I think we're, we are starting to see more of the universities trying to incorporate that into the curriculum. So the, the key is making sure that people understand the connection, even if they don't want to be a business owner, there's still benefit to understanding the business side of the practice. And that benefits them, um, Personally, and I think even for technicians or CSRs, I think understanding the business of veterinary medicine is important to all the positions in the practice. Yeah, and, and I appreciate you saying that because it's a question we, we go back and forth on regularly on the, on the podcast is, you know, the opinion on transparency and how much transparency should happen. And, you know, I guess for some um, individuals, one thing that I think can come up is, you know, I know how to do this from a business sense, but I'm lacking in my, you know, in my personal ability to manage my finances. And I think we, this disconnect can, can sometimes happen. I mean, obviously as a veterinary technician, I know I can provide great service or I can be careful with items that we're wasting. I can be careful with making sure that we're charging for all of the services we provide. There's a lot of things that I can do in the veterinary clinic to try to help that. And when the conversation is there and the conversation is healthy, there's, there's constant reminders. But one thing I kind of wanted to just help with or, or look at a little bit is just that personal financial state for so many veterinary professionals. Um, like you said, living frugally, 
things that they're doing on an individual basis. Um, and I guess my point about the the lack of education and the foundation knowledge is is from a business sense, but then also just in the regular old money management. I think when, you know, what we hear today is that majorities of Americans don't have even $500 in savings like to deal with life, right? So can we have good business financial health and bad personal financial health? And how do we mix that, marry that, separate that? What do you, where do you kind of help people navigate in that space? Well, I do think that you can have good business health and poor personal financial health. And I think the the starting point is education and getting help. Um, there are tons of free apps that you can use to create a personal budget. I think the first step for my first recommendation is creating awareness. What am I spending? What am I earning and what am I spending and where can I cut back if my spending um, is greater than my earning power? I think that's the, the first step. So there are tons of online, free online resources to help somebody track their spending so they really know what's happening. I think that um, in terms of your earning power, you, Becky, you and I have talked about this multiple times in the past couple of years about how underpaid so many of the team members are in veterinary practice. And I'm currently on a soapbox of figuring out a way to help practices continue to improve what they pay their team members. But I think that if a team member wants a pay increase, how can they show the practice owner, here, here are the contributions that I made to the practice in the past year that has helped the practice improve their finances. So it's basically giving support for the raise that they are asking to get. So here's what I did. Here's what I contributed. Now, I, I've earned a, a pay raise of X amount. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point to reemphasize viewfinders. And that is, you know, there's this belief, and, and look, there's value to saving your way to prosperity. But at the end of the day, you got to increase your earnings, really, if you're going to make it work. And so what, what Denise is saying and what others, you know, what we've been saying for 25 years is, okay, look, you do deserve more pay. But you've got to be able to show the return on that investment to your employer. So you've got to expand the services that the practice offers. You've got to be able to show an increase in, in product sales, something that is a direct result of your efforts. That's ultimately how you get paid. So, Denise, again, when we talk about how can a veterinary technician, a support staff person listening today, how do they start that conversation? Because I'll tell you, a lot of them are saying, I don't feel comfortable speaking to my boss or manager about that. Well, I would um, go in with an idea, go in with an idea of something that you want to do in the practice that would benefit the patients, benefit the clients, benefit the practice. And therefore, here's, here's the, the thing, whatever it is, the thing that I want to do, I'm going to take charge of this. Here's the result that I expect to have. And if I attain this result, then here's the, the increase in pay that I would like to have. But right. as you said, Ernie, I think you have, to, uh, you have to show the owner that the practice is going to get a return on that investment. 
and you should benefit. Uh, if it's your idea, your work, your implementation, you're going to see it through. So therefore, you've earned a pay increase for that. So I kind of I want to pull this apart and I, I want to talk about this for 10 hours at least because I think there is so much and I know that we can't. But one thing, you know, that I, I have a hard time with. So first of all, what I want to say is you're speaking at New York Vet next week on this very topic. I am stalking you there um, because I love this lecture so much. And you literally lay out a case study and an outline of how a practice takes control of this, identifies profits lost, justifies, and I, and I mean justifies on paper and with numbers, how they can give their staff up to a $3 increase. And the case study that you outline, uh, ultimately, just just not to be a spoiler alert, <laughs> but we are going to actually identify these areas within the clinic. And these clinics not only gave up to $3 as a raise for their employees, but they actually ended up more profitable on the outside. And I like this approach. And I want to talk about this approach within the, the clinic a little bit, because I think that it's an important aspect from the management standpoint. Because the one thing that I find a little bit frustrating or that I, I, I want to shed some light on is when we tell employees um, the strategy of here's what I want to do and here's what I'm going to impl implement and here's the work that I'm going to do. We're actually saying, like, I'm going to take on another job, another task. I'm going to do more work. And so, of course, they should be getting compensated for it. Where can we make sure that our staff is being compensated where they're at without picking up an extra project? Because we're not letting things fall through the cracks on a business level from a leadership level. And we're putting so much more focus on retaining that income and making sure that we are bringing up as much as we can, that we are identifying areas of missed opportunities um, and, and making sure that we cinch those holes. And then it is trickling down to basically our support staff who we obviously have on board because we've told them we want to do this so that you can get more money. But I, I think we have to view it as not necessarily an additional project. So it's, um, as you said, untapped potential, the things that uh, we're already doing in practice that maybe not all of our patients are getting what our medical protocol says that they should have. So I don't necessarily view it as an extra project, although there could be some extra projects, certainly. But I view it as, let's identify the untapped potential medical care that needs to happen, that you want to happen, and that will result in improved profitability. Um, so having, as a, a team member, it's not necessarily taking on an extra project. It's, uh, in part, it's saying, I'm going to spearhead this and make sure that we are capturing charges, that we are, um, all of our patients are in compliance with our medical protocols, et cetera. But it could yes. be an additional project. Yes. Yes. No. And I love that clarification. I think it's so important, right? Because it's, it is a matter of identifying missed opportunities that already exist. So, so are you hitting your dental goals? Are you hitting your annual wellness blood work goals? Are you doing those things that that not only support the practice, but support your practice of veterinary medicine from a personal standpoint and makes you feel good about the medicine that you're doing? And I think that when you come at it from this angle, you're actually going to improve emotional health, financial health and and really standard operating practices within the clinic. Right. Yes. Uh, Denise, I'd like to get your opinion, too. We talk a lot on our podcast over the past three years 
about burnout, compassion fatigue, you know, job dissatisfaction, all that stuff, right? And we always back into stressors about money, whether it's student debt, lack of adequate income, I mean, all those types of things, right? Now, from your perspective as a CPA who's been immersed in the veterinary profession for, you know, most of your career now, I mean, are things worse today than they were 20, 25 years ago in terms of money pressures for veterinary professionals? And again, I'm speaking to not just veterinarians, but also support staff. I mean, has it gotten worse? I think it has. And I think what, why, you know, we all know costs have gone up and I don't, I think the cost of living has grown at a greater rate. I don't have anything statistical to back this up other than my anecdotal experience, but it feels like to me that the cost of living continues to rise, but the wages do not go up in as, as much as what the cost of living does. I think we're starting to see a bit of a change for veterinarians because in part because the demand is driving it right now, right? So I'm seeing higher starting salaries for veterinarians now than we've ever seen. But I don't think I see when we look at, let's just look at registered technicians, credentialed technicians. Um, when you look at their uh, hourly rates today in comparison to what they might have been 15 years ago, I don't think we've seen as, as big of a growth for, for the non-doctor staff positions. And part of that, of course, if the practices costs are rising and their profits are shrinking, I understand that it puts pressure on paying the staff fairly. So again, my mission right now is can we figure out a way to identify those opportunities so that everybody benefits? And we've got to find a way to raise the cost of living or the, the pay scale for our non-doctor team members. I think it's imperative. And this is where some of the corporate practices are really doing a phenomenal job, in my opinion. We've had different people on the show over the past few years to discuss this. But, you know, this is why independent practices should be paying close attention, because I can tell you some of these corporations are offering better pay packages, benefits. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's all there, which spins me to the next thing I'd like to ask you about, Denise, and that is retirement. You know, we don't often talk to our support staff a lot about this, but you know, that's an important part of securing your financial future. Any little quick snippets of advice that you would give to that young associate, that young veterinary technician or CSR who says, boy, I'm barely making it. You know, I don't have time to invest in my 401k or retirement fund. What would you say to those people? I would say, find a way to do it to, <laughs> right. to make seriously. I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. pay themselves, pay, pay yourself first. And pay, change, pay your future self is what I always say. Yeah, that's a good. Yes, that's a great way to put it. Um, so first of all, I think the practice, every practice should offer a retirement plan for their team members. And I would say the the by far the most common type of plan that I see is a, a simple IRA match, a three percent match or whatever the match is. Most commonly it's three percent. So if your employer is going to match up to 3% of your wages, it's free money. If, if you're to it, when you contribute, your employer contributes what you're contributing in addition, and it's free money to you in a lot of respects. So to not take advantage of that um, 
it's well, it, it's crazy. Right, <laughs> right, right. Take advantage of that. Um, so, and I understand when you're worried about paying the rent, it's hard to take even. Uh, so I did a program at AVMA in uh, July about retirement for non-doctors, non-owners, non-practice owners. And I created a budget for somebody work, who was making $17 an hour. And let me tell you, even at $17 an hour, it was a very, very tight budget. There was no slush in that budget. But I did factor in retirement contributions because I think it's so, so yep. important to do. Yep. Yeah, I think it's important and we know it's important. But the problem, and just for support staff, it's like you said, in that moment, when you're trying to pay your rent or you're trying to pay your bills. And what I what I hear so regularly from other technicians is I'm working two jobs. I'm working, sure. you know, uh, as much as I possibly can. And I'm not making ends meet. I'm still not making ends meet. Um, the idea of, of this type of, of process is seems really um, far fetched. But when we talk <laughs> right. about three percent and you really break down what that actual number is. So so realistically, when you worked out that budget. What was 3%? Can give me a dollar amount so that I know in my head what I'm giving up monthly. Uh, so I'm trying to remember. I think it worked out to $1,200 a year for the employee's contribution. And then the match for the from the employer was another $1,200. And I, I did three scenarios. I did somebody, an employee who started contributing into their retirement account and they were diligent about it every year starting at age 30 i think and then i had one starting at age 40 and one starting at age 50. and even just contributing 1200 dollars a year the person who started young who started at age 30 had oh my gosh triple what the person who waited until they were age 50 to start contributing it's that, you know, the time value of money, right? All the, the interest that you earn. So even if you can only put $10 a paycheck into the retirement account, it's something. And while it may not add up to a million dollars by the time you retire, at least it's something. If you have, you know, 300000 when you retire, that's huge compared to having nothing. Yeah. And, and one of the things too, Denise, that I, I have to get into battles with young associates. So they have the debt pressure, right? So they've got this enormous student debt. I'm sorry about that. You know, look, there's a lot of reasons and, and there are some solutions, I think, but you've got it. And so they're going, you know, there's this, this whole new philosophy of pay down that debt really quickly. And I keep going, wait a second, you know, look at the returns in the stock market over the past five years in particular, you know, and look at your interest rates because most of these are pretty low interest rates. Some are not, don't get me wrong, but most are. And so, you know, Denise, give them some advice on sometimes carrying that debt and making an investment makes more sense than trying to pay down all the debt. Yes. And it's, in some respects, it's about the interest, right? So if, you right. Have, if you're lucky enough to have a really low interest rate on your student loan debt and you're able to invest in something that is going to earn you a higher interest rate, it's kind of a no-brainer, right? I'm going to earn more than what I'm paying. So, yeah, and it's tax deferred. So, I mean, yes. it, I mean, we don't even want to get into that, but that's you've got to factor that into your calculus. Absolutely. Absolutely. So... Uh, I think that 
like anything, it goes back to education, right? And we need to continue to talk to our, our team about the benefit and the value of the retirement contributions. I think it's a great benefit to have uh, for practices who have a retirement plan, of course, that they bring in their, their reps um, and at least once a year to continue to educate the team about the importance and to run numbers for them and show them examples of what a difference it makes. I, I love that you talk about that because I think you're absolutely right. You have to see it. You've got to experience it. You've got to continue to be educated on it. One thing I, I want to just kind of say, unfortunately for my fellow support staff members is honestly, I don't think they actually picture themselves retiring. I don't think they think that's realistic. I don't think we see veterinary technicians retire around us. And so I don't think in our heads that's ever actually going to happen. And I think it is something that needs to be talked about and, and, and addressed because in the veterinary technician industry, it's interesting. You hear a support staff alike say, well, you know, I can't wrestle dogs the rest of my life. Right. And our job is very physical and we know that we can't do our job forever the way that we do it on the floor. And so I think because of that, a lot of us tend to think of our job that we'll re retire from is going to come down the road. And so I think an important point that to talk about a little bit is saving for this outside independently on your own, because at the end of the day, um, until we are able to move the needle better, m the majority of veterinary practices are not offering this benefit. It is a corporate entity um, benefit for a lot of folks. And I think it is why a lot of support staff and technician are going corporate and saying, look, I might not like the policies, but man, I've never been so financially secure in my whole life. What are some ways if, if an individual does not have access to this um, through their, their clinic and their employer, even though we know they should, how can they start to learn about and invest for retirement, save for retirement, even, you know, save for themselves independently for financial security on their own? What are the resources you like? How do you help educate your, your people? Well, you can do a Google search and find so much information online about what are, are the options. I mean, clearly, as if you're an individual who works for a business that does not have a, a company retirement plan, you can do your own. You can do an individual um, IRA, and you can do a Roth IRA, meaning that it, you can contribute to a Roth IRA today, um, and then you, you're doing it with after-tax dollars, but down the road, when you start drawing out that, that Roth IRA money in retirement, you don't have to pay income tax on those, right. those withdrawals at that point. Um, you can also deposit into a, a simple IRA for yourself. Um, just that's, uh, you do get to deduct now today, but in the future, then when you draw it out, you would have to pay um, tax on it. So there are options. And I think the limit right now is $6,000. If you have an individual IRA um, that you're contributing to, I think $6,000 is the current, current limit. And you might think, well, that's not very much money, but again, that time value of money, it adds up as it keeps earning interest on interest. It, 
it does amount to a lot. Absolutely, Denise. I mean, compound interest is a force of nature. So if you don't have a personal IRA, a retirement account already, you need to do it. And you know, Denise, what I hear a lot from young employees, young associates, they say things like, well, I don't have enough money to actually begin that process. Well, the last time I checked, there's no like minimum amount that you have to invest in these retirement accounts. Am I right? Uh, that's correct. You, <laughs> I mean, again, if you only have $10 a paycheck to put in, it's something. Do it. Yeah. Do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and again, you know, I, I, I will once again reemphasize saving your way to prosperity, not always the best tactic. However, if you don't save, you will not have prosperity. So you've got to kind of balance and figure this whole thing out. If you're feeling a lot of debt pressure out there as a young associate, you really need to do the numbers. And if you're a student right now or a prospective student thinking about going into veterinary school, you need to really look critically at what your interest rates will be on your student loans. Because, you know, again, Denise, I just wish I could rewind the tape on some of these young associates and say, wait, why did you take out that kind of loan at that particular time? Oh, wow. Yeah, I wish we'd have done something a little different because tactically, strategically, you have a lot more control over some of these things than you might think. Yes. But, but I think there is so much predatory nature in the, the financial you know space that way, especially when it comes to loans and such Absolutely, that we, yeah. we know that they're putting these situations by people who should be doing better by them and not and not helping them get there. Um, and I, and, I, and I love the idea that we can help people feel individually empowered and, and individually um, responsible and know that we, we can and there are ways. No amount is too little. It's every little chunk counts. Um, I think sometimes it is really hard to see that realistically, um, but it's doable. So Miss Denise, I, I guess two things. Number one, you know, you always hear like the latte thing, like, OK, well, stop drinking your lattes and you'll have $100 a year. I, I, I want to talk a little bit about how do you balance, like, I want to enjoy my life, but I also want to enjoy my retirement. So how what's your advice for people who kind of want to find balance and do you have any? And then number two, in, in line with that advice, where do you, they go? Should people be finding a CPA? Should they be finding an invest? Like who should we be going to get advice on how to do money better in our lives? Because we might just not even know where to start with that. Sure. So, um, in terms of the, do I have to give up all of my pleasures in life to, to make this happen? Let's start there. I would say, no, you don't, but you have to start with a budget. So nobody likes to hear the word budget, but um, set, give yourself an allowance, if you will. I mean, a lot of people had an allowance growing up and you, you did odd jobs around the house and your parents gave you an allowance and that's how much money you had to spend for the week. So create a budget for yourself, factor in some fun spending maybe, but keep it to a minimum. If, if you're really tight in terms of what you earn and what your expenses are, then your fun spending is going to be limited. Um, and then the second thing, where's a, a reputable place to go? You know, I like Vanguard. Um, Vanguard does webinars that are free and they're educational webinars. They have a lot of materials online and, you know, that's just one. If your the practice you work for does have a retirement plan, then there are probably people that uh, 
you can go to there that can help educate you. And it might be, again, a benefit that you don't have to pay for. Yeah, I mean, I, I love it so much. I think it's incredibly important just in the sense that we've got to get these resources. We have to prioritize it. I recently had somebody explain it to me um, really well. I, I said, you know, how come I sometimes have this knowledge in my head that I need to do something, but I can't make myself do it or it's not a priority? And she said, you know, um, your head is full of files and, and different files get put in the forefront. And just because a file is not in the front doesn't mean you don't have the information or the knowledge or make it important. It just means you can't have all of your files in the front at the, at the right time. And it, it, I really like very tangible visual analogies like that. And so if you have a financial file in your brain that you know needs <laughs> to be brought to the forefront, um, please just take one little step. Like Miss Denise said, just, just one little effort to start to make some progress in the right direction. I love that you brought up technology and apps. If you are a, a regular listener to this podcast, you know I live my life by apps. Uh, and, and for me, my budgeting and my financial savings are both done on apps. I have, um, I, I talk about all the time. I love Digit. It tells me, you know, it takes money out of my account and in very small increments and it saves for me and it adds up and it piles up and I don't have to think about it. Right. And I think not thinking about it is such an important element to actually making it happen. So it's not money you ever see. And then, you know, um, you leverage that technology. If you're in a clinic and you're in leadership and you're in management, please put this at the forefront of your employees. Um, benefits package because it is important. And, you know, Miss Denise, you know, you've said it, the science is out there, the data is out there that our employees, while pay is important, benefits are right there with it. Yes. And I think that, you know, one, one other strategy that a lot of people will use is when they do get a raise, that raise is what they, they up their savings right. versus upping their spending. So, yep. Yep. That doesn't sound like any fun, but I do, <laughs> I do think it's so important. It's so We've, much fun when you're in your 50s and yeah. you're able to sit back and go, wow, I'm really glad in my 20s I started that retirement fund. Denise, it has been a joy and pleasure as always speaking with you. Thank you for dropping some knowledge on us today. Thank you. I've uh, enjoyed it. Well, I'll tell you right now, hopefully your financial file has been activated. It's been brought to the forefront of your consciousness. And let's just say, if you save a little bit today, you never know where that future self will take you. And, you know, today's self, tell us how you're doing it. Uh, tell us what you're doing to serve your future self. What tips, tricks, and technology you're using to make life a little bit easier for you today and life a little bit better for you tomorrow. We want to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder, on Instagram at Vet Viewfinder, and on Twitter at Vet Viewfinder. And you can pay us by going to iTunes and giving us a five-star review because that's how we reach other veterinary professionals. It's also how we get amazing guests like Denise Tumblin to speak and share her knowledge with us on the podcast. Again, Denise will be next at the New York Vet Show, and then I'm sure you will see her in any of a number of places in 2020. Make it your goal to see her next year. Make it your goal to save a little bit of money. Make it your goal to invest in your future. Viewfinders, as always, it has been a pleasure talking with you. Until next time, bye. 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 Sorry. <laughs> no, that was perfect. You're okay. <laughs>